Sean McCracken from Hotel News Now here with First Hospitality's Dave Duncan. So what's new and interesting in the world of First Hospitality? Uh, good afternoon, Sean. Thanks for having me. Um, Tale of Two Cities is what I would say from our perspective. I don't know if this is new, but the two, the two tales are the operating business and the fundamentals of the hotel business are mm -hmm. pretty strong. You know, strong fundamentals across the recovery curve, and uh, the owner put the owner hat on, and the operations are pretty good. And then you turn your attention to the other tail, which is the capital markets and the loans that are in place on assets, and uh, our ability to get things done from a transaction level is quite a bit more challenged, more challenged than it's been in quite some time. And so, um, we spent a lot of time working on underwriting and trying to understand where we might buy, build, or invest. In the future and uh, our expectations are apparently uh, a little high because we're not able to close the gap on seller expectations mm -hmm. and so uh, I think it's really interesting when I talk to people depending on what part of the business they're in the GM's you know think things are going pretty well the acquisitions team is uh, it's, it's, it's hard to motivate them they're in, they can be in a funk yeah and I imagine even they're feeling slightly better than developers right now, right? When yeah, just for isn't sure. Yeah, money. exactly. And our, you know, we have uh, we're active uh, developers and under construction in a few places. And I guess that would be the third city if I was using my funny metaphor, which is controlling costs on existing construction mm -hmm. has been uh, a monumental task. And so we're seeing, you know, construction overruns and you know, a lot of different places. And so even if you're able to get something uh, funded, financed, and uh, begin to build, controlling costs are, uh, you know, it's still a real issue as a result of the pandemic and, you know, the cost inflation issues. Yeah. I mean, are you still feeling relatively optimistic that, you know, there's no new supply growth out there? So if the few things that you do get done, they'll be you know, the shiny new toy? I think, yeah, it really is market specific. You know, you can get things built in, uh, you know, select markets, but as a generalization across the U.S., the supply additions and the pipeline of potential additions is, you know, really at historic low levels. And, you know, that's a result of the pandemic, but that condition still exists today. Mm -hmm. The ability to get something financed uh, today is, has been very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so in the long term, I think we're going to benefit from really low supply additions, um, you know, over the next three to five years, which is, you know, a nice thing to do if you're already, you know, in the portfolio or in an, in an asset. I think it provides a little bit of a tailwind. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what is the secret sauce to get something past the finish line at this point? Like what how do you get any deals done right now um, on construction? um, I don't have we don't I don't think we have secret the secret sauce there the things that we would have been able to do mm -hmm. are I'm gonna say literally a hundred percent based on a relationship mm -hmm. banks is we know you we've done business with you for quite a long time I, we get the great benefit of a company built by Steve Schwartz has been a developer for 30 40 years and you know banks will do things with us that they wouldn't do with other folks that's very rare and uh, not a you know not necessarily uh, something you could repeat on the acquisition side. I think uh, you know we have underwritten just a really large volume of deals, and I think we've come to the place you know as a as a matter of posture, we're just we're just going to have to be patient. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I you know laugh to the team, patience is absolutely the right choice on the investment side. Mm -hmm. But 
in the interim short term, it is very unrewarding mm-hmm. to just uh, sit around and you know wait for the market to open up a little bit. What we are seeing on the investment side is we really need to come to more creative solutions on the asset. Like mm-hmm. what can we really do differently? Rebrand, change the you know the business plan for that asset. Where maybe that's where you overcome the the gap, but the reality is, sellers to date haven't been forced to sell, mm-hmm. or you know, in, in a material way. And I think what uh, we perceive on a go forward basis, maybe forced is the wrong term, but I think there will be much more pressure on you know sellers that are in uh, you know need to refinance a loan than there has been over the past you know two three you know years. The banks have provided a lot of, the government has provided a lot of regulatory relief from banks calling things non-performing. Mm-hmm. That free pass is gone, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of loan maturities uh, coming in the next uh, you know year and a half. And so I think we'll start to see things trade. Generally stated, you cannot refinance an existing mortgage at the terms you put in place in yeah. 2018 or 2019 yeah. without more cash, more something. And so I think that'll you know, cause some assets to come to market and hopefully sell our expectations to come down a little bit. Yeah, finally have more impetus for deals. I mean, we saw it this morning with Park walking away from two their two big hotels in San Francisco, and obviously that's a unique circumstance, but, I mean, that wouldn't have happened if, if things weren't getting a little more stressful, right? Right. No, exactly. And that is, a, you're right about that. That is a unique circumstance, and San Francisco is a, sort of a unique market today, but that's a really telling sign for, you know, the hotel space in, in that sense. An owner of that stature in a city of that stature, you know, sort of just giving up and going home. Yeah. It would have been unthinkable, you know, just a few years ago. Really it would. It was like really the marquee would. properties for a big, well, one of the biggest hotel REITs. It's it's really surprising in a lot of ways, but also not surprising given circumstances. Yeah. So, I mean, are you are you guys hoping to be a distressed buyer? Or, I mean, I'm not not saying that you're hoping for the worst or anything, but are you hoping that, that this will open up that sort of opportunity for you? We are, you know, positioned to acquire assets and quite motivated to build our hotel portfolio. Um, we have two or three different sort of owner pockets of ownership with different motivations, but... There is a lot of appetite, a strong appetite for hotel assets in these mixed real estate portfolios. And so we have various ownership groups that are quite motivated to acquire hotels. You know, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, they each would have said, you know, let's buy distress. Mm-hmm. And uh, that chapter sort of passed without not a lot of activity. I think most buyers are perceiving that while there might be owners that are under pressure to sell assets because of the fair amount of liquidity and other groups like ours, you know, willing to, to, uh, bid prices up. We don't perceive there'll be a lot of real distress mm-hmm. available. You know, ideally I'm, we're wrong about this, but I think we've, it feels like the opportunity for, you know, the distress that has happened in previous cycles is just not going to be there because the under- underlying NOI is still, it's the tale of the first city I described, still pretty strong. Mm-hmm. And so what you have is a capital market dislocation. And mm-hmm. I think that will probably, f- we'll find a way, that will find a way to resolve itself. So I think huge discounts are 
you know, not likely to be the case, except in assets that deserve huge discounts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in particularly underperforming markets or, you know, sort of less relevant assets today. So what's the ideal property for you? Like, what would you, what type of thing would you just love to see, like, and get you really excited right now? Yeah, um, 50 to $150 million value lifestyle and orientation where we can really use our operating company to bring what we call alpha, but what I really mean overperformance to the asset, make the bar restaurant more interesting, use our revenue management sort of machine to drive top line, and really bring the operating capabilities to the fray in more growth-oriented markets. And so generally for us, that means uh, as a generalization further south in the U.S. than we've previously invested in. And so we're looking a lot into the, sort of the smile markets and the higher growth markets. Although we think there will be some real opportunities in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, New York is a complex beast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting what that, how it sort of stabilizes. But uh, on a long-term basis, we're very interested in, in New York and some of the other big, big markets. So obviously, restaurants and bars are a big part of what you guys do. How's that side of the business faring compared to the hotel operations side? Um, you know, well... Clearly, during COVID, it was even even more challenged. Mm-hmm. But and in a lot of markets, you've seen a lot of restaurants that have, you know, basically gone out of business. And uh, the business is pretty good, I would say. It's not quite as robust as the ADR growth that we're seeing, you know, in the hotel space. But we are seeing, as a as a general matter, especially as you know, seasonality comes around and the memory of Omicron and things like that are sort of fading. You know the bars and restaurants are getting much, you know, quite a bit more full than they uh, than they have been for quite some time. And you know, my sense is that you're still going to have real opportunities for people to gather. And and uh, what we see in most of our hotels is a change in mix and a lot of leisure travelers that you know are a little different behavior than business travelers. And so, you know, I think the business of running restaurants and bars in and around the hospitality space will be very good, you know, on a go forward basis. And for us, in addition to being profit centers, strong profit centers, they really have the effect of, of being the front door on mm-hmm. a lot of our more independently spirited hotels. And so that amenity halo effect of having a you know a really strong restaurant and bar, we think is, you know, increase will be increasingly important on a go forward basis for you know to make the place memorable for travelers to return. Mm-hmm. So since you guys are so focused on, you know, a couple different really people intensive businesses, I'm wondering your perspective on just labor right now, because obviously it's still a huge issue, although it's not like the only talking point like it was in in recent memory. So how do you feel about how the labor market and labor environment has shaped up and how is it different than, say, like a year ago? Yeah, I know. So on a long term basis, I continue to believe it's the number one challenge mm-hmm. for hotel investors, operators for the foreseeable future, and I mean literally foreseeable future. During the pandemic, there was this acute labor challenge, labor shortage for a whole bunch of different reasons. What I found interesting across our operating teams were the general comment like, when is this going to be over? Mm-hmm. And the answer is probably never or probably for not for a really long time. With that said, that really acute challenge of finding labor has abated. We generally have you know, much lower numbers of open jobs, open positions, and our, our staff retention is quite a bit better 
over the last six months. But on a go-forward basis, I think I really do think that's the fundamental challenge in the hotel business. And that's one of the reasons we've invested heavily in our operating team and across our platform in quality labor management tools, literally technology tools, but more importantly, in culture and making sure we follow the golden rule. At the end of the day, all of our employees, just like our guests, want to be treated you know, like we would want to be treated. And we really make that a priority across the operating team when we look at how's the hotel doing? The answer is not just GOP or NOI or RevPAR growth, but staff retention, uh, staff satisfaction, and uh, we're spending a lot of time on the soft side of the business, which is making sure employees want to come to work for us. How do we motivate them to and, and direct them into a career path and then take the steps necessary to get them the training so that they can actually have an upward, upwardly mobile career path and spending as an organization a lot more time on that because it's critical. Mm-hmm. It's the fun part of the business to see people you know, go through that transition, but uh, it you know, also is a, a real uh, opportunity for the, the operating business to, to differentiate ourselves. And so what I've said to our teams on this question around labor is it is going to be a challenge. Winning in this space is doing better than the neighbor. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's you know, true generally in most businesses and in the hotel business for sure. But, you know, we get that right. Guest satisfaction levels will be higher at our hotel versus the neighbor. And, you know, that is uh, sort of a, you know, a very profitable way of running the business to make sure the employees are satisfied as well as the guests and it's sort of a self-feeding cycle. So if labor is the big long-term pressing issue, in your mind, what is the closest thing you can think of to the solution for it? Like what needs to happen to make things better? There's a lot of talk and, you know, uh, interest in technology as a generalized, you know, matter. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we've just begun to understand what that means in the hotel business. Keyless check-in is sort of a, you know, an obvious example. And can you have less people at the front desk? The answer is you can. You have to have the right technology in place and it has to work and people have to trust it. Uh, but I really think there's a lot of additional technology that will be embedded into the hotel business, including, you know, the extensions of AI and, and chat GPT. And, and we're talking about installing a new technology for our a back office accounting system. And mm-hmm. for the first time, we said rather than have, you know, accountants sit and analyze the P&L and, and understand the variances, you can now do that with AI. And mm-hmm. so, you know, have AI do effectively that work. And then the, you know, in this example, the controller spends time on a more quality effort, mm-hmm. less grunt work, if you will. Yeah. And I think using technology in smart ways is, is the number one opportunity there mm-hmm. to you just need to reduce hours and, and uh, uh, the staffing requirements. Yeah. So just to shift gears before we run out of time here, obviously you guys are Chicago-based, mm-hmm. and Chicago is not exactly looked upon as the favored hotel market in, in the grand universe of the hotel industry right now. So I'm just wondering what your perspective is on Chicago as a hotel market and whether you feel the the broad um interpretation of where the city is at is fair or accurate yeah chicago's had some well it's uh, that's also a bit of the tale of two cities so last summer for instance the convention and visitors you know the the numbers were were really strong and they'll be very strong this year as well and so the current operations the noi profile of our hotels in chicago is actually pretty strong Mm -hmm. what you have however is a 
fundamentally challenged fiscal situation there where property taxes are high and probably going higher. Fear of crime and some of those issues are impacting guest perception and traveler perception. And so what you have in Chicago, it's going, it'll figure its way out, but it's going through a pretty tough time from an investor perception. Uh, you know, people generally are avoiding Chicago for those reasons. And uh, you know, we're, we're very, very hesitant. Things will trade in Chicago, but they'll be at, at, at relative bargains, I believe. Mm-hmm. They'll is, need to be at relative bargains to trade. Is it a market that you guys would look at investing in because it's relatively discounted because of the perception or no? Steeply discounted, we would. We know a lot about Chicago and understand the nuances of it quite well. But it's got a strong headwind. And uh, property taxes and fiscal, mm-hmm. you know, underlying government issues there are, are pretty strong. Yeah. And so uh, you, not a lot of people will go with us when we're looking at deals <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, David. This was fantastic. Hey, thanks for spending the time, Sean. Always good to see you. Yep.